all my brown skin girls, this episode is for you. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a society that frowned upon dark-skinned women. Media never portrayed anyone that looked like me, and often I questioned if I was even beautiful or pretty, because I never saw anyone who looked like me in ads or on TV. But today, we talk to Trishna Helmick. Trishna wrote a post about her personal experience on colorism. This post went viral. Trishna is an emerging actress, singer and songwriter and model. Born in India but adopted by a white family in Ohio, Trishna currently lives in Los Angeles. We got chatting about her post on social media and her life story growing up as an adopted child in a white family. Trishna, welcome to Hype Woman, the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you're an emerging actress, a singer, songwriter and model. But how I came across your profile was on Facebook, you had this interesting post, which is very close to my heart, the topic on on colorism, and it went viral. It went crazy. So tell us more about that. Okay, it's crazy because when I wrote the post, I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write this to be viral. I'm not going to, I just wrote it because it was in, it was what I felt in the moment. Uh And I, I just, I'm speechless at the amount of attention and the positive feedback that I've gotten from it. But yeah, I wrote it because of a lot of, just a lot of experiences I've been having with colorism. Uh Um, And again, I'm getting, and a lot of that has to do with, I'm getting married um, in 29 days. Oh, wow. Congratulations. um, Thank you. And I'm having a South Asian Indian wedding. I'm not having the full seven days or anything like that, but I'm going to wear the Indian Langa and uh-huh. my fiance, who is Caucasian, is going to wear the Shawani. And one of the biggest things that happened was I was getting my Langa fitted for my wedding and the woman, uh, which she wasn't Indian, but the woman working on my dress that was fitting it for me had made a comment like, oh, so you're South Asian Indian. And I was like, yes, I'm Indian. She's like, oh, I would have never guessed because you're so dark. Wow. I know. And I was like, there are a lot of dark Indians. It's not only that, but being an actress, being a singer and a model, and I'm always on set. I'm always um, on casting sites and gigs and whatnot. And again, recently, I know because of COVID, it's been a little slow, but um, being on set, I get this a lot where I am perceived and my family, I have a lot of family members that are black and stuff. So black and brown is beautiful, no matter what they think I'm black that I'm African-American because I'm so dark, which mind you, like (laughs) I don't, I, black is beautiful. I have, so obviously I'm not offended, but it's just more the fact it really started just ringing in, in me and in my head that dark South Asian Indian women are not represented. Go ahead. I'm I'm gonna, so here's the thing, right? Cause I'm my, 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 maiden surname is ready and so I'm I grew up in in South Africa in a Mm -hmm. South Indian home and we debate whether or not if our ancestral line is from Andhra Pradesh or or South India and I would joke with my mom because she's definitely South Indian but my dad like the surname ready is from Andhra Pradesh and like it's regarded as Telugu but because my grandfather was somehow raised by his mom's side of the family so things get lost along the way so we debate this heritage but within the community itself you get like really dark South Indians and you get Mm -hmm. very light skin as well and so 
I know growing up, my grandmother would call the darker grandkids chocolate and the fairer grandkids white chocolate. And I was like, already there was this weird kind of sense of, okay. Divide. Yes, became very aware of it, like growing up. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, I, I went to India for a holiday with my parents. And I was at a hotel at, at a spa and it was really beautiful. And you think you're getting this whole experience. And then the lady looks at my skin and she goes, oh, you're really tanned. Don't you mm. want to bleach your skin? <gasps> and, oh my gosh. And at that oh moment, like my mom and I, we were very, how do you say, okay, let's just try this, whatever it is. It, it, maybe this is what they do in India. And, right. and then later on, when I told a friend of mine, she was like, hey, what were you thinking? You're going to damage your skin. Can I ask, like, because uh, obviously I've never bleached my skin and I yeah. never will because I, I embrace the color that I am as dark as I am. I love the melanin in my skin. But when you put that on, did it burn? For, it's like a tingle? slight tingle. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. and, and, and then I researched it after that. And I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> this is crap. And um, sadly, this is some, and the bleaching creams are, are such a huge selling market. product yeah. in India, absolutely. in the India community, but in, yeah. in India. And even just like I said, with my wedding coming up, I've been doing a lot of Indian shopping. And I'd go to the like little India here and I, I living in yeah. Los Angeles and I go into these Indian stores and I see so many bleaching creams and I just, I just want to scream because it's just like, guys, it's just, inter it's so interesting to be brought up in America. And I have my friends that are Caucasian that want, that spend tons of money to tan to look like us. Absolutely. They want to look like us. <laughs> but then our community is trying bleaching creams to look like them. Right. And it's just, oh, it's, it, yeah, it's just very interesting to me. I'm just going to go back as to growing up. You have such an interesting story. Born in India, but then adopted by a white family and yes i'm gonna say white caucasian they um, are white they're caucasian but the whitest of the whitest Trust me, they're gonna <laughs> listen to this podcast and be like be like yep we're white <laughs> I, and i asked this question because having moved from south africa to germany when i was in south africa like i'm not how do you say i'm not native african but i regard myself as south african and right. at the same time like when i moved to germany and then i see like Indian people from India and I see my African friends from Africa and I'm like oh which one do I connect with most and I definitely culturally connect more so with African people and because like culturally in South Africa we have our own Indian culture but I wouldn't say I don't speak the, like an Indian language I could have if I learned it but I don't right. yet at the same time when it comes to food and to and the clothes we do embrace a lot of that but I always like when I did visit India once I was like oh I felt I didn't feel like I fitted in there either so right so I think what I'm asking you is how did you grow up with this strong sense of like cultural identity or did you have any questions being raised in a family where how did you how did you learn about South Asian culture for instance man so where do Sorry. I start <laughs> so many questions <laughs> no it's no so yeah I was born in India I was I had just turned a year old and I was brought over to America and adopted by white Caucasian parents and yeah I grew up in Ohio in a very small town I was the only color girl in my town. I think there was maybe two other kids that were, that were people of color. 
And so for me, I never, I didn't have any representation. I didn't look like anybody else. Unfortunately, my parents are amazing and I will always forever be grateful. With that being said, though, I was adopted into a family. I'm talking more of the extended family, aunts and uncles, cousins, things like that, that were horribly racist. And it was how to, I was, like I said, I was, even though I am South Asian Indian, I was perceived as black there growing up. I was called the N word, but yet I'm a South Asian Indian. And it was, I I think for me, it was just, I didn't really know where I fit in. I didn't understand it at the time because again, I didn't have parents that were people of color that experienced racism or ignorance on this level. I, up until a certain age, I was horribly blind to a lot of the things that were happening to me. I was definitely told growing up that I, the boy wouldn't date me because of the color of my skin. My skin has always been a factor. It's Mm. just, and I think that's what's so interesting is people like, you always talk about your skin color. It's getting annoying. It's getting, but it's, but I don't think people understand that my skin tone was being talked about before I was even adopted. When my parents came out to my family and said, hey, we're going to adopt um, an international child and, and she's probably going to be from India. How dark is her skin going to be? What's wow. she going to look like? What if only black men date her? There was a lot of ignorant, racist comments said to my parents. And I w- hadn't even been adopted yet. I hadn't even been part of the family yet. So my skin tone was a factor since day one, before I was even in America, before I was even born, my skin tone was being talked about, which is mind blowing. And you can't ignore it growing up. There's no way you can just play this. There's no way. Yeah, there's no way. And I always, I think, and again, being told at a young age that you, they don't want to date you because of the color of your skin. That's something that it stays with you and you feel less. Yes, absolutely. And I don't, uh, yeah. And I don't even think I realized it at the time until I got to college and I got older and I understood, I started to really educate myself on these things. I got out of my hometown. I went to college in Boston and I was around a lot of diverse, a diverse group of people. And mm-hmm. I started to educate my things on these things. And I started to open my eyes and realize like all the stuff I had gone through and how it wasn't okay. Absolutely. And I think when you're in it and you're young and you're in it and you, again, I don't have parents that that experience these things I you just don't understand what's really happening to you yeah you know you don't understand it Trishna was there ever a time in your life when your parents were with you and they experienced got to see how yeah how you were treated and just yeah some of the microaggressions or just being a woman of color, a child of color, do they ever experience that with you? My gosh. (laughs) Yes, of course. I even, and like I said before, like I even, my color and the ignorance was already being thrown at them before I was even adopted. Uh So that there was that, but yeah, growing up again, I'm being in America and again, a South Asian Indian, but, but being perceived as black, there was many times throughout high school, I played soccer and basketball track that on and off the court, things like that, that I was called the N word. Oh my gosh, many times. But I do remember one specific time when it was a basketball game and I was sitting in the bleachers. I was just eating a Snickers bar. I was by myself, (laughs) minding my own business. 
And the other team had yelled out to me and they called me a towel head. And mind you, again, I've been called the N-word and the towel head. And, but it was just because it was so loud. I felt like everyone in the gym could hear it. And in fact, my parents were like two, like only a couple bleachers up. And I looked back at them. Like I looked around to see if anyone else heard this. And I looked back at my parents and their faces were like, oh my God. And so I went up to them on my parents and I was like, my mom was like, did that just happen? And I was like, yeah. And I just remember feeling just embarrassed because again, no one else goes through this. My parents, my parents experience it in the sense because I experience it, but they're, they're never going to truly experience this. And so for me, I go ahead. They have this like empathy, but they're not like feeling Feeling it. It's not happening to them. It's happening to you, but they see it through you vicariously. And so I think, I think there's always was a part of me that I felt embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And my mom, I just remember my mom being like, what should we do? Should we say something? And I think for me, I thought that being the bigger person at that time would be just to ignore it and let it go. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it doesn't bother me, which it does bother you. Even at, at this age that I'm at now, even when I get called uh, the N-word or whatever, it, it's still, you shouldn't let a words affect you, but at the end of the day, it still affects you. It's yeah. still in the back of your mind. And we should have stood up, let somebody Say, know. Say, hey, let, that's let not on, that's not right. And, and yeah. And accountability and, and had yeah. some kind of accountability. But again, at that time, there, it wasn't what it is now. And I allowed a lot of that to happen growing up where a lot of things happened to me and I just let it go or I didn't say anything. And, and that even happened within my own family when I think I was telling you when I got my nose, I got my nose ring in, I had just gotten back from India and I got my nose. It was my graduation. The day I got my, uh, the day I graduated high school, I got my nose pierced. And again, that's an Indian, a huge part of Indian culture. And one of my first family functions I went to one of my, 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 of course, my aunts and uncles, they were all talking about it. And my aunt said something to my mom, like, why did she have to get it done? Why did she have her nose pierced? And my mom explained to her that it's a, an Indian culture, part of just part of the Indian culture. And she and my aunt said to my mom, she's American. She's not Indian. So, and, and it's, oh, it's so ignorant. Oh my goodness. And again, I was standing there. I didn't say anything. I thought that not saying anything was being the bigger person. But again, all this stuff adds up. And when you get to a certain age, when I really was educated on all the stuff that I've been through, I was educated on all this stuff. It really hit you. It hit me. And I have to say one of the biggest things that have got me through just getting through what I've been through. And again, this, like you said earlier, it's not everybody has the same experience. Not every South Asian goes through this. Not every, everyone's racial experiences are different. Absolutely. And I, the biggest thing that has helped me personally go get through this and understand it is therapy. And I did put myself into therapy like a good two years ago, which I highly recommend for mental health. And and, you know, and again, especially last year was uh, with COVID was not a good year for everybody, but especially for America with Black Lives Matter and the climate of racism in our country. And I wasn't okay last year. It was hard. It was hard. I was, my fiance and I were out protesting like almost every single week for Black Lives Matter. We go hard. I saw that you have tattoos, matching tattoos. I do. I have a Black Lives Matter tattoo and I have an equality 
for um, an ally for for, to the LGBTQ community. And I think the biggest thing that has helped me is yes, therapy and going to therapy. And also sometimes therapy can just be doing this and being on a podcast and talking from one woman to another, from one sharing your story and sharing has been the best therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. What has been the turning point you would say like in the, in like since therapy, like in your mindset, what have you taken away from it that you realize, Oh my goodness, what I had no idea that what I was doing was not serving me well. And yeah. What did you do differently? Um, This is going to be really deep. Actually. I think there was a part of me, which I didn't realize that was a little maybe resentful and upset with my parents for putting me in this situation, even though my parents are amazing, but putting me in a toxic family that's already racist in a town. And, and and again, and again, people aren't going to truly understand this and probably take this well, but I'm unbelievably blessed to be adopted and to be privileged in that sense of, I have lived an amazing life. I've had amazing opportunities. With that being said, I think there's still, there's that inner younger Trishna that's mad that I went through that stuff and I shouldn't have to. But I think that's also why the older Trishna is so outspoken and loud and um, unapologetic. And I speak on these things because of my experiences. And I also want uh, and again you and I have talked about this we want our daughters and but also other all kids but our daughters to have women to look up to and be represented and that's going to be us you know coming back to your Facebook post I just thought wow we all think this I've never shared this I've never posted this before (laughs) you posted it so I was like where did you find the courage to do that (laughs) And again, I think it was just built up stuff. It was months of being on set. And again, let me give an example. Like castings can be need of an African-American, Latino, East Indian girl for this part. So it's pretty broad. I'll go out for it. I'll get it. I'll get to set and producers or whatever will be like, oh, we, oh yeah, you're South Asian. That's cool. But we, we thought you were black in your casting and in your pictures because I'm so dark. And again, because we're not used to seeing dark Indian. And so it has been a month of certain things like that happening to me. And again, just the wedding dress thing had happened to me and being like, oh, you're Indian, you're so dark. So it was just like, yeah, I I would say like a a plethora of things that have happened within the last couple of months that just made me really realize that when the I, I don't know what the right word is. It's like not the average person, but when any other person thinks of Indians, they go straight to thinking that we're really like these light skinned Yes, broad range of brown. And, and even we are very, we, and, but yet you only see light skinned. And I, yeah, I just felt the need to just get it out. Absolutely. And I did. And I had, and again, like I said, I'm speechless. I had no idea. I will say the majority of the responses have been very positive. I have girls in my DMs. I, I will say, and I I keep, reaching out to girls. It's for everybody, but especially women reaching out to me from like South Africa, from <laughs> India, from Europe. Oh my gosh. I, I was speechless. I had no idea that this, that post was going to do what it did. I, I had no idea. And yeah, I, I, it was just inspiring. I like their responses inspired me. That was so empowering. It was so real. It was so relevant. And at the same time, the picture that you posted as well, I think it was just 
perfect because you owned who you are and and it was like yeah exactly unapologetic and I did get a couple there's of course a couple little or negative feedback on it why did you post the picture in black and white why wouldn't have you just posted it in color and I think that first off I'd actually had already posted the picture in color first off it is my profile picture <laughs> but I had already posted it on another it actually was talked about with about representation and it was in color and I just also felt the black and white one kind of represented what this is about. It's just, it's very black and white and it's very not talked about. And it just like symbolized what this very cinematic coming from. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that was the reason for doing that. And and I get the, there was a couple of course ignorant comments. Oh, so you speak on colorism and racism, but, but yet you're marrying a white man. And Yes, I'm marrying a white man and I'm marrying him not because of the color of his skin or because he's more superior. It's just how it happened. I love him. He is an amazing man. And he is also one of those men that he knows that he's never going to truly fully experience this. He knows when it's the time to sit and listen. He knows when it's the time to stand up and he needs to hold his race accountable. And he knows when to get loud. And I'm just very blessed to have him in my life that had that truly embraces who I am as a woman, as someone who's very loud, very outspoken. And he's just always like, where do you get this stuff? He's I'm like, I don't know. It's just this. I have an amazing supportive man. And that's why I'm with him. It's not because he's white or more superior or whatever ignorant um, comments. It's because he's just an amazing, great man. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also impar- like when someone accepts you as you are, It also gives you this this platform, this space or the confidence to actually shine brighter as yourself. And and I'm not, we'd have to talk that this is for a whole nother podcast. (laughs) We could talk about interracial couples. What makes it the hard, there are some hard times where it's like, it's always having to explain and and do certain things that can. And I I have a lot of my black friends, man, we have black girlfriends, man, we talk about this, just explaining to them and to understand what we go through or why we feel this way or why this triggered us. And and they don't, you know, they may not understand some of that stuff, but if you have a man that's, it maybe would be easier with somebody that's brown or black that actually experiences it well with you. But when you have a man that is Caucasian though, that is willing to sit down and listen and understand it and educate himself on it, that's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm sure. No, I know. We've had so many conversations, so many experiences. I know it's not just about race. It's also just the privilege that, that men have compared to women. Absolutely. And it was one time my husband was at work and uh, a female colleague like gave asked him to read a book by this Nigerian feminist author and he was like yeah I think I've already read that book my wife given that to me already and and that was it was so nice to hear and he was like oh okay nice in that sense I think again like it comes down to what we learned in history books like what what story are you being told and now to hear a different story a different reality and it's it's not the ones that they grew up with but it it is right just as important I think this is the beauty of interracial couples is that your world expands absolutely Absolutely. And And you learn from each other and you educate each other on 
different cultures or different <laughs> backgrounds. And, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you get to create your own personal identity for your kids. Yeah, that's, that, that's where I think yes. the, the, the cultural identity gets lost a bit. But I think the Absolutely. bigger picture is you become more relatable to, to people who are somewhat different. And I think that's amazing. Right. It's the similar situation with me. It's only until you step away from it that you have the space right. to look at it and say, oh, wow. So that's what it oh was. Oh, my gosh. Because you, you don't have me. the language right. to articulate that when you're actually experiencing it. Like for me growing up, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. So just to give you some kind of idea, growing mm. up, everything we saw on TV was just white, even though like my family is Indian I, and things like that. But we were always told your opportunities are limited as a person of color in this country. And, yes. and I remember watching like the South Africa pageants with my grandparents because that's what they did back in those days. Mm-hmm. And, and you go, oh my goodness, these girls are so pretty, but there were only white women with blue eyes and blonde hair. Just I, I also loved reading fashion magazines and I never saw a, um, a woman of color on these magazines so already I'm beautiful to to who exactly because I'm not like the stereotypical or, or the, the mainstream idea of what is beautiful and of course all of that changed when apartheid ended and just we had such an amazing flood of just like women of color on tv on radio state yeah on radio stations and magazine co- covers but again, I noticed that even with my black friends and my, yeah, my Indian friends, we always talk about, yeah, but they're always choosing the lighter skin. The lightest girls. of the lightest of the people of black right. or people of color. And it wasn't until I think Mindy Carling came, came about where you're like, oh, wow, there's a South Indian girl on TV. Right. That Finally. looks like me. That yeah. looks like me. Absolutely. And I um, totally um identify with that and relate to that again growing up didn't look like anybody in my hometown like you said didn't look like anybody that was in magazines so the only people that I had to really that I could relate to or look up to are black women and I have I want to say I give a shout out to black women you guys gave me someone to look up to and you guys really inspired me to embrace my skin and because again, there was no South Asian Indians on no. TV until only a couple of years ago, like Mindy Kaling, yeah. um, Priyanka Chopra. And, but grow, for me growing up, there was nothing to look up to or th- just not look up to, but just be represented. Like, oh, I look like them. Yes. Oh, I see myself in them. And that, that is, that's why representation is such a huge deal. And it's very important. Um, Very an- another question, like growing up, did you have any role models? Who did you look up to? I honestly have to say, I'm going to, she's going to, she's going to make me cry, but my mom, and you actually asked earlier how I still being from adopted from India yes. and growing up in a white community with white parents, how did I still stay in touch with my culture? Yes. And I want to say my mom and my mom and dad were both are amazing, but uh, my adoptive mom and she knew that my culture was still, it's still a part of me. She never tried to whitewash that and say, you're American. So now it's, that's not a part of you anymore. My mom was like dressing me up in like langas and little bangs. She bought me bangles. And I even remember for my birthday, (laughs) this is actually cracks me up for my birthday. I think, man, I had to been in middle school. So like eighth grade or something like that. My parents found an Indian restaurant. It was probably like an hour and a half away from us, two hours, but they were like, we'll go. We know 
know that you want to go and you want to try Indian food. I was young and we go there. We didn't know what we were ordering. Everything was too spicy for my parents. <laughs> like <laughs> We just like, but it was just the fact that they, they understood that they embraced that. And they just kept me in and, and embraced my culture and where I came from. They didn't take that away from me. They knew that was still a part of me and that's important. And my godfather actually married an Indian woman and they asked if I wanted to come to India with them. So when I was eight, 17, 18, I went to India for the first time, went back since I had been born there and really got, really got to see the country and just taste the food and the culture. And it, it was, just eye-opening and beautiful for me, especially at that age. It was just, it was amazing. What, what went on through your mind? Like when you got there, did you feel like you connected? Can I be, I stepped out of a plane and I was like, I know this sounds weird and I don't know why it even makes sense, but like, I was like, wow, this is home. Wow. <laughs> well, because I finally looked around and I looked like everybody there. I, I didn't stand out. I blended in. We were still a more Americanized, so we stood out a little bit with our clothing and stuff, but it just felt right. I guess that's the right way I can say it. It just felt right. And in fact, that's actually where my fiance and I wanted to go for our honeymoon, but because due to COVID, I think we're going to have to put that off for a little bit here. Oh yeah. I, I hope that you get to experience that someday though. It's funny because like with my husband and I, we, we've also been put in India off and it was and not until recently watching a lot of Indian produced shows on Netflix. And he was like, oh, that place. Yes. Cool. I want to go. <laughs> yes. Yes. Trishna, you and I were chatting earlier off behind the scenes on our yes. experiences growing up and just finding our identity as maybe teenagers and, and just the things that we look towards. And you mentioned something about going with your friends looking for makeup. And yeah, what was that like? I I just remember this, what was, I think it was Carrie Underwood had this makeup. I don't remember exactly what makeup line it was, but just that there was a commercial, she wore it and I loved her. So I was like, oh, I want to, I want that foundation. I want to be like her. (laughs) I know. And I didn't think of skin tone. I didn't think of anything like that. I just, I like her music. I love American Idol, of course, being a singer. And so I remember going to the store, I think it was like Walmart or something like that, and looking for the foundation or the makeup and they did not have my shade. And I just remember being honestly devastated, but I don't think, again, I don't think I truly realized and understood deeply all of it, but I just remember being like, oh man, like I really wanted to wear that because she wore it and it wasn't available for me in my shade. And that's interesting because I experienced that as an adult in Germany, not being able to find my shade of right. uh, foundation. But obviously being older, I, I realized like I can articulate it better. And like coming from South Africa was a variety of shades of brown that right. I was like, oh my God, I'm in a first world country and they do not have foundation for the variety of women that are here because there right. are lots of dark skinned women here, but why was, yeah, why did we, why are we not seeing at least from a commercial perspective? Yeah. And also I want to hear the story <laughs> about your honeymoon. So that was a really interesting one. Cause you, you got chatting about like how my husband experienced my, like, how did he ex- yeah, react to my experiences? So I was very intentional about getting him to understand the context of 
how I grew up and just my reality being incredibly different from his reality. On our honeymoon, we went, so at the time, Trevor Noah, he's the host of The Daily Show, but before right. that, he was just like South Africa's biggest comedian. And he right. had all- Which I love him, by the way. <laughs> and, and he had like these amazing <laughs> skits that just played on the stereotypes, but also- got you to look at the problems that we have in our right. society in South Africa. And so for me, I think that was the best thing that I did was just like, here, watch Trevor Noah and you'll understand how I grew up and the problems that we have as right. people of color. And then on our honeymoon, we went to, as part of the experience, we went to the apartheid museum, which is in Johannesburg. And at the entrance, they have, two different entrances, one, which is for white people and the other is for non-white. So he had to walk through the- What is the reasoning for that? Is the white entrance like cleaner or better? Or is it like, what is the reasoning? So the idea behind behind it is to illustrate like how it was in apartheid days. That, okay. that okay. white people had to go, they had a separate entrance, they had, they could go in places that people of color couldn't. Right. And this kind of, if you're a couple, if you're an interracial uh, couple and you're doing this, you really realize, oh my goodness, this is crazy that right. we have to now separate and he goes one way and I go another because back then, interracial marriages were were a crime basically so we got to experience this and realize oh my I am so glad that we're living in a different time and space but for me this time was not so long ago and that's and just you adding that by the way (laughs) just that this stuff wasn't that long ago in being in an interracial couple Jeff and I again are an interracial couple and when our uh, wedding date is June 12th which Mm -hmm. is uh, here in America is Loving's Day I don't know okay. if you know about that. No, I don't. Loving's Day is when this was 54 years ago when interracial couples were not allowed. So it's only wow. been 54 years ago. That's not that long. Where um, it the names were M- Mildred and Richard Loving. I know the story actually. Yep. Story. Yep. And they grew up in Virginia. And obviously it was not acceptable. They threw them in jail many times because they just loved each other and they wanted to be together. Long story short, they fought for their love and went to the Supreme Court and they won. And again, that was only 54 years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. And so June 12th is set aside for, it's called Loving's Day, which is the la- their last name. Actually, I'm not saying it, it's Loving Day. And yeah, so my fiance and I are getting married on our, the interracial day. Wow. So that, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. But to think that only on my wedding day, only 54 years ago, we wouldn't have been allowed to do this. I know. It's just, it's interesting. It is. And and I think my husband and I, we ask ourselves all the time, a lot of times we will say, what made you choose me? And I know in the beginning, like he would say things like, because you're so exotic. And now I, I play it back and I'm like, yeah, no, you're so exotic. I think at the time he had no idea. No, I think maybe that's not the right word to you. And I think that's something too that we're trying to not use anymore and uh-huh. be put on us as yeah, brown yeah. skin women yeah. um, and ethnic women in, in the sense of, in fact, I didn't even realize this, but when you look up the word exotic, mm-hmm. it actually uh, pertains to an animal or a bird that is not of normal. It's so different that it's not normal. 
And I guess that's putting us on a label that we are exotic. And when we call each other exotic, that we're not, we're just not normal. We're so different that we're not, that we're just not normal. And I guess it's technically like a microaggression in a way. Yeah. I think I know what you're trying to say. When you objectify something instead of looking at the person as a person. And again, making that we are so far different. Yes, you're exotic. And again, I think people think that it's a positive thing, but when you're saying someone's exotic, it's like they're so past, like they're not even part of the beauty standards of it. They're just so far past and it can be taken in a negative way. And again, if you look at the definition of it, it's a little... It's putting us like in an animal like thing. Yeah, yeah um, that's it. Like you're you know, this thing with animals. Look too. at this pretty yes. thing to look at. Exactly. And you know what? I also want to touch base on what we talked about. You were talking about how you were having a a talk with your daughter just yeah. about her skin tone and the adversity and the struggle that she may face with that. And it, it just it just it it stings that we have to do this. And also, I think I had I had mentioned to you that again, coming uh, being in America, where racism is very high, the climate of it is very high, and it's a very big talk about conversation right now. And one of the biggest things that we get thrown back in our face, mainly by white people is that, oh, you, all you do is talk about your skin tone and all you do is talk about this and that. And, but it's, I don't, is just, it, 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 it's just shows the privilege that a white family and a white kids don't have to have that conversation. And you're here having, and again, that goes for obviously for black families as well. Like they have what you call the talk. And that's sitting your kids down and explaining to them what's going on, the climate of everything, how it's going to affect them and what to do. And it's, I think for me, it's just frustrating that when things like that are thrown back in our faces, but you don't understand the privilege that you don't have to have that talk with your kids or with your friends. And it's, yeah, it's just, it just breaks my heart. It's not easy. And the more we have these conversations, the more... I, I know for a fact that the, the women who listen to my podcast, like a lot of them can relate to this. A lot of them are raising biracial kids. A lot of them don't know how to articulate this. And when mm. they hear these things, they're like, oh my goodness, you you're, you asked exactly the thing that I've been thinking about. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And one more thing was just the, my parents. Yes understanding that, that again, not everything around me at the time growing up looked like me, or I wasn't really represented in that sense. And my parents had bought me a my size Barbie doll. And I remember I was, I was like in elementary school. I was really young. It's probably like four, not even elementary. I was like, had to have been four. And I, it was for my birthday or Christmas and getting it and opening it in this huge, my size Barbie doll. That was the size of me, um, was the color. And my mom got me the darker skinned one, Barbie. And I just remember opening it and just being like, wow, she looks like me. And again, at the time, I didn't understand that. I didn't realize that. I didn't, I didn't understand that. But, but you remember it up, now. Yes. And I remember it now and understand why I felt that way and was like, wow, I had something, a doll that looked like me. And how, again, it just, again, goes to show that representation is important. And all shades, all shades of brown and black need to be represented and shown because it's all beautiful. I just want to say, I love your mom because what she did there was she was saying to you, I see you for who you are. And I think that's so huge. That's so cool. Right. Absolutely. So tell me more about your, your career journey. How has it been? Yeah. 
what what about your experiences as an actress a singer songwriter what is how has yeah how has being an indian woman influenced that path that journey and again i think that we talk about representation and i get recently with the especially acting and modeling i've been able to be part of projects and the south asian indian in those projects and really represent us as indians but also as dark south asian yeah, indians yeah, yeah. and it's so rewarding i've been on i i was in jesse j's music video if you guys are if you guys know who jesse j are jesse j is <laughs> her clean music video which is a women empowerment music video this was a couple years ago and i got to be just around a bunch of diverse beautiful educated women but also again i got to be indian and just be me and again represent south asian indians and that and again that's that goes for a bunch of other projects just getting to be a part of projects that are just have a great message that have a great message but also that i'm all for women empowerment and just women embracing themselves so i I have to say a lot of the projects that I have done whether it's singing acting and modeling has been just really rewarding. Because I think like one of the things that you mentioned like especially with regards to your parents and finding these roles that align with your identity is also right. like affirming that what they see me for who I am. Exactly. Exactly. Like Even I just got a skincare little campaign and it's, I guess I can say what it is because I think they're putting <laughs> it out soon, but it's Ambi Skincare, which is a skincare line for darker, well, for darker people, people of color. And I just going on set, it just felt great to be they, they embrace like, oh, you're South Asian Indian. If you want to wear your bendy and say to the Indian women as well, this skincare line is amazing. It's for us. Mm. It's amazing. It, it works great on our skin. That's again, it, I got to be the South Asian Indian and represent. Mm. And again, that just feels, feels amazing. A dark South Asian Indian, <laughs> mind you. Yeah. I'm just going to tell a joke about these things. My grandmother used to go to India and she would bring back these creams that said fair and lovely. And again, it was all about getting Indian women, dark Indian women to lighten their skin tone. Yeah. If you're not fair, you're not beautiful. <laughs> and it's so sad because I think that we've had in the Indian community, we've had the caste systems and whatnot, but I think a lot of it does stem from colonization. Absolutely. From, and I put that in, in my, in my Facebook post is that first off, it stems from being colonized by white Europeans for generations. I mean, for there's like probably six to seven generations being told and ingrained in them that white is superior. White That's is right. more beautiful. White is more sellable. White is more valuable. And so the, here we are now selling bleaching creams and trying to look lighter. And it's just, <laughs> it's exhausting, it's exhausting and frustrating. <laughs> I just, I just don't want anybody to have to go through that, but also women and our daughters to go especially through that. Especially our daughters. Especially, you know, I don't have a daughter yet, but I think everything I do now and I fight for now is going is for my kids. It's, it's for myself. It's for you. It's for our community. It's for our brothers and sisters, but it's for our kids as well. And we want change and we want the beauty standards to change and we want representation. And America is up and coming in that sense with having Kamala Harris as yeah. our vice president, which is beautiful. And I hope by the time I have kids, there's more Indian representation and they can be like, wow, I look like that. I look like that person because you and I didn't have that. 
Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and again, I think why it's so necessary to really highlight like this distinction, because I, I again, like I say to you, I, I went to a school where it was incredibly North Indian, a lot of North Indian girls. And, and I always knew, okay, I'm not, I don't fit in. I just didn't fit, fit in. And I have friends who have daughters who are darker skinned in complexion and and now living in Germany and my friend, like she would tell me and she comes home and she's like, some kids say that my skin is dirty. And I've had my own child say that to me once. I mean, you need to take a shower. Your skin is brown. And I was like, no, this is my skin tone. It's oh not dirty. Gosh. But, and, and again, it, it comes down to sometimes we really have to educate our, our kids about just the different skin tones and that everything is beautiful. But before they learn about this from the outside, of course, we have to do our part in whichever way we can. And you did your part with your Facebook post with this beautiful picture, by the way. Oh, uh, thank you. And again, for me, seeing that is like something that I think the little Serona in me was like, oh, I wish I saw this 20 years ago. And I think that where we're at now, you and I both, we can give this next generation of girls. And again, like your daughter um, or daughters, the women that we needed Absolutely. growing up, we can be those women that we need growing up, which is embracing ourselves and women empowerment and just being supportive of, of each other. And that's our part. That's what we can do. And again, I definitely want to say that all shades, whether you're light or dark, I think what we're, again, what we're trying to achieve is just the representation that there are dark skinned Indians and yes. we're just as beautiful. We're just as sellable. We're just yes. as marketable and we're just as beautiful. I don't know if I said that. <laughs> we're beautiful too. And I just, I really hope that we can, we can make change, change with that. You know? Yeah. Change the narrative. So you're also a singer. I am. <laughs> I am. I yeah. I actually I attended Berkeley College of Music, which is where I in Boston, which is where I met my fiance Jeff. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah. Do you have any songs that you've sang that you could maybe give us a little bit of a rendition of? Oh, you want me to say? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Okay, I'll sing something here. You can win surfing to my life. Take me up on a carpet ride. You can make it in a big balloon, but you better make it soon. You can reach me by caravan, cross the desert like an Arab man. I don't care how you get here, just get here you can <laughs> thank you I didn't go to anything. I'm like this is too early for me but <laughs> well thank you for being such a sport thank you for asking and so what does the future look like for you post-pandemic what are you hoping for Oh man. Again, I live in LA area, which we are probably the most restricted city here, lockdown city here in, in America. So how come? I, say that again, babe. I said, how come? What is just our population and our numbers were so bad, but right now our numbers are looking good. Things are starting to open up more. So yeah, I think just like getting 
involved in more projects and especially castings. I'm excited for the movies and TV shows to start coming out a little bit more, more castings and this and that. And again, being part of projects that are putting us dark skinned girls in a good light and representing us well. And also again, like my wedding is in 29 days. So I'm just trying to, I'm holding my breath and <laughs> making sure everything goes good. I think I've had a nightmare every single night about my wedding. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just have anxiety and I'm a little anxious, but yeah. I'm just like excited to get out of quarantine and COVID and get some work done. Oh, tell me about it. We've been in lockdown since December. And I yeah. think people are just... Is anything open for you guys? Or? Not yet, no. No? <laughs> but, 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 but soon. I've read the recent news, news articles that it's, it's, it's going to change soon. So we're looking forward but, to that. Perfect. Um, but it's really exciting to be chatting to someone from the other end of the world. And just to be able to share this experience, I think it's really amazing. And I'm really excited for your career. And yeah. And yours as well and the podcast and I support you and if you ever need anything. And again, thank you so much for having me. I am, I had, again, I had no idea writing this <laughs> post. It was going to reach so many and touch so many and be inspiring. I had, I had no idea. So thank you so much. And thank you for giving me a platform to speak. And thank you to all the brown and black girls out there. Keep shining and keep slaying and go get yourself some sun. Enjoy the sun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so funny. Once I went into a store and the lady tried to give me a tanning cream as a freebie. And I was like, do I look like I need tanning cream? <laughs> hey friends, if you like listening to this episode, won't you give us a review on whichever platform you listen to? Um, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Subscribe.